When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It is Wednesday. The Ben is at nursery. The pot of Yorkshire is on the go and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we bizarrely call the noughties and to the football of its time. This is episode 44 of the Noughties Nostalgia podcast and today we're going in international football heavy as it is. We are in the build-up, the on the back nine to the build-up of the European Championships in 2021, despite being called Euro 2020. So we're going to take a look at Portugal and Greece's travails in 2004, also Germany's first half of the decade as they attempted to uh, recuperate from some pretty atrocious tournaments in the late 90s and early 2000s. Thank you to everybody who has donated on Patreon. The launch was on Monday, thank you very much. Also, please give us a follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Acast, Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music as well, podcast feed every Wednesday and also daily as of next week in the European Championships. Let's get stuck into today's show. So to look at Euro 2004, we have to go all the way back to 1966, when football came home. But anyway, enough about England. 1966 saw a dominant Benfica side make up seven of Portugal's 22-man squad for the World Cup in England, principal of which, of course, the man himself, Eusebio. Portugal earned qualification to the quarterfinals through wins over Hungary and Bulgaria. In the Bulgaria game, Eusebio scored his first ever World Cup goal, the legend himself. And then the true scalp came in match day three, a peleless Brazil, a 3-1 win for the Portuguese at Goodison Park. Eusebio bagging two, Brazil were out at the group stages in an absolute shock. Portugal missed out to the likes of Bulgaria in 1973 and Poland in 1977 for qualifying for those World Cups. They also missed out to Bulgaria in 1968 at those European Championships, Belgium in 1972, 
the likes of Czech Republic and England in 1976, also Belgium and Austria in 1980. It was a rather lean period for the Portuguese in terms of tournaments, but then in the 1980s they finally re-emerged. First in Euro 1984, drawing to the holders West Germany and against a much favoured Spain side. A late Nenny winner qualified them for the semi-finals, the winner there coming against Romania, but they were unfortunately outdone in the extra time by Michel Platini by France. And 20 years on from Eusebio, they qualified for the World Cup again in 1986. But despite a 1-0 win over England, Bobby Robson's England, they lost to Poland, they lost to Morocco, and somehow, despite winning in the World Cup, they wouldn't finish, they wouldn't qualify for the knockout phase, the 16-team knockout phase from the 24-team group stages, they finished bottom of the group. Now, Portugal would have to wait another 10 years. It was a year ending in six, so Portugal would be at the 1996 European Championships, Euro 96, as we often colloquially call it. Is this an omen for the 2026 World Cup? Who knows? Portugal were undefeated in the group with Croatia, Denmark and Turkey, but fell to the finalists and one lob from uh, Karol Poborski against Czech Republic. They would miss out on France 98, but humiliated Germany, Sergio Conceição scoring a hat-trick there, and England coming from behind 2-0 to win 3-2 at Euro 2000. They would top the group, beating uh, Turkey in the quarterfinals, but again, it was a semi-final, it was France, and it was a mercurial talent in extra time. Zinedine Zidane as opposed to Michel Platini here in uh, Belgium and the Netherlands. They wouldn't go close in 2002, as we spoke of last week on the podcast, losing to South Korea, losing to America, and they were out of the groups again, just like in 1986. Flip a coin, we go to Greece. Greece almost qualified for their first World Cup in 1970, but drew against Romania in qualification, and they would miss out. Soviet Union and Finland drew in um, build-up for the 1980 European Championships, which meant Greece would qualify for their very first tournament. However, they would lose to the Netherlands, they would lose to the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia at the time, and a nil-nil draw against a much-changed West Germany team meant a group stage exit for the Greeks. It would be another 14 years before Greece would return to international tournament football. They were unbeaten in qualification for the 1994 World Cup and as a reward, drew Nigeria, Bulgaria and the final throws of Diego Maradona at the Argentine national team. Maradona would have, of course, scored that goal against Greece, um, his subsequent celebration leading to a drugs test which we covered yesterday on the What If Football YouTube account, What If Diego Maradona Wasn't Banned from the 1994 World Cup. Greece would finish bottom of the group, they'd score zero, they'd concede ten. And in the early 2000s, they were qualifying for their third ever tournament in 2004. They were close, albeit, for the uh, European Championships prior to that in 1996 and 2000. In qualification for the tournament in Portugal, they would lose both matches to Spain, but Spain's poor results elsewhere meant that Greece qualified as winners automatically for the tournament in Portugal and they would be reunited with Spain of course in Group A in Euro 2004. Portugal were also there as the hosts and Russia made up the group and in the build-up it was pretty much common knowledge that Portugal would win, Spain would also win. They would win two wins from two against Greece and Russia, the group's whipping boys, and it would be all done and dusted by the final group game where Portugal met Spain 
pretty much in a battle to see uh, who would finish first, who would face France or England from Group B. The group was to be done and dusted by the time uh, Greece played Russia in the final match day instead. The opening night of Euro 2004, Angelos Basinas wrapped up a win versus Portugal on the opening night in Porto. Angelos Karasteas equalised against Spain and going into the final game, Greece were top of the group and because Portugal were playing Spain on match day three, they were through already before the game against Russia. Spain and Portugal would of course fight for the other place at place, won by Nuno Gomez's goal and Portugal would be in the quarterfinals. Greece at this point was simply happy to be at the tournament and happy to be in the quarterfinals for the uh, for the very first time in a knockout stage for an international tournament. They lost 2-1 to Russia and that meant France in the quarterfinals as they finished second behind Portugal, missing out on that England quarterfinal. France had looked good in the tournament, admittedly, but they were a bit leaky. They drew 2-2 against Croatia. They did need stoppage time goals against England through, uh, of course, Zinedine Zidane. And they won late on in the day against Switzerland to confirm top spot. Previous night, Portugal whipped England on penalties to grant their semi-final place, which we have covered, of course, in the archives on that on this podcast. Angelos Karasteas netted once more in the quarter-final against France. They were the winners in Lisbon. They were going to a tournament semi-final. With two days' advantage over the Czech Republic and or Denmark, who would, meet, who would meet in the quarter-final in Porto, Czech Republic winning that 3-0. Portugal, meanwhile, in the other semi-final, they had the same advantage over the Dutch. They scraped through on penalties against Sweden and on two days less rest. Manish scoring an absolute belter to confirm Portugal's first ever tournament final on home soil, nonetheless, in Lisbon. Meanwhile, the other semi-final, Greece and Czech Republic. Czech Republic had the uh, one of the stars of the show in Thomas Rosicki. They had the would-be golden boot winner in Milan Boris, Robin, Wayne Rooney of that particular accolade. And they played out a relatively uh, cagey 105 minutes, of course, as we know. Euro 2004 debuted the silver goal rule in terms of international football, with it being UEFA and their quirky little rules. Czech Republic were favourites to go through. They were one of the dark horses for the tournament before it got kickstarted, obviously knocking Germany out of the out of the group stages. They were now probably... Maybe home advantage would have them behind Portugal, but it would be an even contest going into the final. But the silver goal rule reared its ugly head, utilised for the only time in tournament football, and weirdly enough, quirkily enough, the only silver goal made it more of a golden goal because Triana Stellas headed in on the front post from a corner, stoppage time at the end of the first half of extra time, which killed the game because the silver goal rule was... If you were winning by the half-time point in extra time, the game would stop dead. And yeah, it is a daft rule, isn't it? Uh, Greece's 4-3-3 going into the going into the final would fall back into a 4-5-1. Meanwhile, you've got Portugal in a in a 4-2-3-1. Miguel Nuno Valente and Cristiano Ronaldo were in for Portugal from the first game, which they uh, of course lost against Greece. Katsouranis, on the other hand, was in for Greece. Theo Zagarakis put in. <laughs> a man-of-the-match display to go with his other man-of-the-match displays throughout the tournament. And by the end, through a Karasteas header, Greece won out 1-0. My friend at school, we did a, we did a Euro 2004 predictions, so quarter-final through to the final. So I put, being a very knowledgeable football fan, England versus France in the final. Um, obviously, 
that didn't happen. They were both out in the quarterfinals. My friend knows relatively nothing about football. Um, he put Greece to win it, beating Portugal in the final. Everybody laughed at him. Uh, who's laughing now? <laughs> and uh, after 2004, Portugal and Greece's paths split off. In 2006, Portugal, it was a year ending in six, they'd qualified for a tournament. So after a great year of 2004, they were in the mix, definitely. They beat the Dutch again. They qualified easily through a group with uh, Mexico, Angola and Iran. They obviously beat England in another quarterfinal penalty shootout. But just like 1984, just like 2000, they lost to France in the semi-final. And again, it was Zinedine Zidane scoring a penalty against Portugal to eliminate them. The year ending in six wasn't so much of a treat this time, but it would be, of course, much later on. Two years on, the reward for winning the group in year of 2008 was Germany, who sunk them 3-2. Germany, of course, were fed Portugal because they lost to Croatia in the groups. And in 2010, they got a... Portugal had a bit of rotten luck, really. They had a bad quarter of the draw. Um, they had Brazil and che uh, Cote d'Avoir. Ivory Coast in the group, which is a pretty tricky group. Obviously, North Korea were there as well, but Portugal spanked them 7-0. But in the uh, in Group H, which so the last 16 pairing was Spain, it was Chile, it was Switzerland. So they were going to get a tough ride of it either way, obviously. They would draw to Brazil, they would draw to Ivory Coast. And despite conceding zero goals, they meant... Their last 16 tie was against the favourite Spain and that would be a 1-0 defeat. David Villa scoring the goal there and Portugal were out in the last 16. In Euro 2012 though, Portugal wouldn't win the group just like in 2010. Their reward though this time was Czech Republic instead of Greece, which would have been a fantastic callback to Euro 2004. Greece hadn't been in a, in a, champion, in a knockout phase of a tournament ever since that final against Portugal. They would bow out to Germany. Meanwhile, Portugal, they would win their first knockout game in six years ever since the penalty shootout win over England. A 1-0 win over Czech Republic, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, scoring that. And it meant Spain in the semi-finals. Of course, Spain, their bogey team. Although, if the team is better than you, can they be classed as a bogey team? Either way, they'll haunt Portuguese nightmares. Bruno Alves and João Moutinho missing the penalties in the semi-final. Spain marched on, of course, winning their third international tournament in a row. The 2014 World Cup, the Portugal went out in the group, crashed out in the group after dismally starting a 4-0 defeat to Germany. Thomas Muller getting a hat-trick in that one. Meanwhile, they could only draw to America, which meant even a big win against Ghana probably wouldn't help them, and it wouldn't. They only won 2-1. Meanwhile, Germany couldn't inflict the same thrashing on America, beating them only 1-0. Germany were through, America were through, Portugal on the first plane home. And as I said, Euro 2016, the year was ending in six. Was it to be a good omen? Well, it didn't look as though it was gonna in the group stages. They got possibly one of the easiest groups, despite not being top seeds. They drew Austria, Iceland and Hungary, which if you're gonna create a, a group for yourself in a championships, especially with three teams qualifying more often than not, that's exactly what you'd pick, wouldn't you? And they drew three times. The pick of the games, one of my favourite games from the last European Championships, was a 3-3 draw against Hungary, where Portugal were constantly on the back foot having to reply to the Hungarians. 
Portugal wouldn't win a game in the group stages. They wouldn't win in the last 16 over 90 minutes anyway. They needed extra time to beat Croatia with uh, Ricardo Caresma scoring a header from about 14 centimetres out. They needed penalties to beat Robert Lewandowski's Poland and Portugal's first win in the 90 minutes, their only win in the 90 minutes at the championships was two goals from Cristiano Ronaldo and Nani in the semi-final against Wales in a 2-0 win. They would, of course, need extra time in the final. And in a game where, despite Portugal having talents like a Cristiano Ronaldo, a Bernardo Silva, Renato Sanchez was voted the best young player at the tournament, despite having the cachet that Portugal do have all the semi-finals, the finals that they've been in, they were huge underdogs against France. France obviously hosting the championships in 2016, but as in 2016, as in 2004, the underdogs prevailed. Edda scoring, stunning the hosts in extra time. Cristiano Ronaldo injured, coaching them from the touchline and uh, Portugal finally won their first ever international trophy. Meanwhile, Greece didn't even qualify for that tournament, um, which goes to show how much in a rut they were. They finished near bottom of their qualification group containing Northern Ireland, Romania, who did qualify and struggled even against the Faroe Islands. And two years on, Greece wouldn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup anyway, either. Uh, Portugal, on the other hand, of course, they qualified through uh, the playoffs against Sweden. It was uh, Ronaldo versus Latan Ronaldo, obviously, prevailing on that one. And Ronaldo had his day in the World Cup in the very first match, scoring a hat-trick against Spain in an absolutely fantastic 3-3 draw. And Portugal get this reputation of being quite stoic, quite defensively minded. But in terms of the last two tournaments, European Championships and World Cup, I mean, they've provided two of the best games of the tournament, the 3-3 against Spain, the 3-3 against Hungary. Of course, Portugal would beat Morocco. They barely survived against Iran which meant Uruguay as a reward for the uh, second place. Meanwhile, Spain went out to Russia in the in the uh, corresponding fixture in the other half of the draw. Edison Cavani, of course, sunk them. First with a header, fantastic header. Love that header. And then the curl was equally as beautiful, took it right into his stride. And then a year later, after another last 16 exit, early exit from the World Cup, because if you think about it, since 2006, Portugal haven't got really far in a World Cup last 16, groups last 16, but... In, uh, in 2019, they won the second trophy. If you're going to count it a major trophy, we just don't know yet, do we? The way the Nations League's going, they would beat Switzerland, then they would beat the Dutch on home soil. Barely avenging memories of uh, <laughs> of year 2004 when they, won, when they lost a the final on home soil, of course. Now, Greece, as discussed, didn't qualify for the World Cup in 2018, didn't qualify for the World Cup in 2006, nor the European Championships in 2016. Euro 2008, they made quite possibly the worst defence of a European Championship with qualifying. Lost three straight in a group containing, admittedly, the favourites, Spain, and the surprise packages of Russia, who got to the semi-finals, of course, and Sweden as well. 2010 World Cup, two years on, they were still the same result out of the groups, beaten by South Korea on opening night, which was probably the match they had to win, and it ultimately condemned them. They did beat Nigeria, but would lose akin to 1994, really, losing to Argentina. As previously discussed, they were to reach the first knockout stage in eight years in 2012 in Poland and Ukraine. And they had an absolutely horrific start to the tournament. They only got one point, uh, lost to Czech Republic, 2-1, I think, or 2-0, but stunned Russia in the last game in Poland, winning 1-0. 
which meant Germany in the quarterfinals and they got thumped 4-2. Although, again, another entertaining team, another entertaining game. They would be through to knockout phase in 2014 as well, so you wait for one knockout phase and two come all at once. And this, again, was like Euro 2012, Greece unfancied, but a nervy win in the final match day of the groups. Georgios Samros with a 90th minute penalty against Ivory Coast, and there's a what if fear, isn't there? Um, which meant that Greece would be rewarded with Costa Rica in the last 16. So Greece were in Group C. They were paired off with Group D, of course, for the last 16. And the last team that Greece expected in the last 16 would be Costa Rica in a group, obviously, containing England, containing Italy, containing Uruguay. So right there, you've got seven World Cups. And of course, it is Costa Rica who win the group because that's just how football works. And Greece haven't been at a tournament since since the loss to Costa Rica on penalties. Costa Rica would, of course, go out, to, go out on penalties themselves in the quarterfinals. They didn't qualify in 2016, 2018, or in 2020-2021. stroke I asked for your Euro 2004 memories. Tending the whole podcast, he remembers the games between Czech Republic, the Netherlands, and Germany in the groups being bonkers. Yeah, it's probably one of the best groups of all time in tournament football, really, at least in the, in the European Championships. He remembers goals for Angelos Karasteas against France, against Portugal, which sent 10-year him into pure euphoria. He says the silver goal against Czech Republic was a highlight. A highlight depending on your perspective, really. I think it's kind of a low light because the rule is an absolute atrocity, really, and I'm really glad it got uh, binned off when it did. Uh, Tending the whole podcast also states that Greece were lucky to have Pavel Nedved come off injured. And again, at Nedved, Missed out in uh, 2003 in the Champions League final through suspension and again 2004 when it mattered most. Not there through injury, of course. He also states that Theo Zagarakis was indomitable and he was, yeah, one of the, probably the best player of the tournament because you have to give it to a player who's won the tournament, haven't you really? Or at least got to the final and Zagarakis was absolutely immense. Jonathan R says that England, he remembers England bottling it against France massively. Um, tournament changing what if moment in hindsight of course they didn't get them two goals England would have faced Greece with uh, a win there but alas they didn't he says that it, to be honest it was a rather average tournament summed up by a dreadfully boring unpopular winner but admits that uh, the Dutch Czech Republic game the 3-2 in the group stages was exciting I'm going to butcher this name, so I'm very, very sorry to uh, Panagiotis Sidaris. Again, very sorry for the pronunciation there. He remembers Angelos Karasteos, of course, and Wayne Rooney. And what a great year for football. <laughs> and yeah, But judging by the name, there's a little bit of Greek in him there, I think. And yeah, it was a fantastic year for football. It ranks alongside Leicester City in 2016 for me. Um, Joe says he was a bit too young for Euro 2004, but ponders how on earth did Greece win that match? To which Mick Hullahan says that he absolutely hated Greece for years after this awful football to watch. So there's very varying degrees of uh, opinion for this. Josh Moss um, tries to explain they were a functional team and a solid unit. And with Dallas at the back, you've got Zagarakis, Nikopolidis in uh, goal as well. Uh, Karasteus, of course, playing his football for Werder Bremen. They've just come off the back of a double uh, in Germany. Fantastic um, unit. Bassinas as well, you can't forget from out wide. Um, yeah, they they were a functional team, and it just goes to show that anybody can win a uh, international tournament. We've seen it with Denmark in '92, although I don't think that's as much of a shock as what people think. I think the shock was of them being recalled 
back into the European Championships after Yugoslavia's disqualification. Let's not forget they did have a really good tournament in the 80s, in the uh, 1986 World Cup, they qualified for the knockout phase. Also, they were in the Euros in 84. I think they were there. They might have been there in 88. I'm not too sure. Um, so, yeah, that, that's not as much of a shot. Greece, on the other hand, will rank outside as like easily one of the worst teams, on paper at least, in the tournament. They then go on to win it, which is why I say it's more like Leicester City in 2016. They were, on paper at least, one of the worst teams in the Premier League. Probably the bottom five if you're going to draft up a list before the season starts. And then, obviously, Claudio Ranieri comes in. And of course, Otto Rehagel, German, is the only foreign manager to win a tournament or win a European Championships or World Cup for a team that is not a citizen of. Of course, he probably is a honorary citizen now. Um, but that goes to show that um, employing somebody from your own country, at least in international tournament football, not any other walks of life, um, potentially is the best way to go about winning a international tournament. So that must mean Gareth Southgate is off to win the Euros this summer. Anyway, from Greece, from Portugal, we're going to Germany after this short, short break to see how they tackled the early part of the 21st century. Welcome back. So, Germany. 1954 is where it all started. Whether it was gamesmanship, whether it was genuinely... Swapping his team out and being angry. Sepp Herberger, the West German manager at the time, put out weak opposition against Hungary in the groups. They lost 8-3 to Hungary, knowing that it was set up an easier playoff against Turkey to decide who would make the knockout phase. Germany, West Germany would play Turkey. They would beat them 7-2. They would knock out Yugoslavia. They'd knock out Austria in the quarterfinals. Austria, far cry from the team that we've seen in the 30s. This meant a final with Hungary again. The magical Magyars, overwhelming favourites, but they had a less than match fit Frank Puskas. They were beaten 3-2 despite going 2-0 down inside 8 minutes and Puskas's goal being uh, ruled out at the end of play which would have meant 3-3 and extra time and maybe a potential replay. The studs from one Adidasler there um, helping them over the line somewhat. West Germany had to wait another 12 years before, an F, uh, before a World Cup final and of course we know who won that one, don't we? Famous on these shores for the England 4-2 win. Dodgy linesmanship or just a solid England one, one, wingless wonders display. Who's to say, really? So in the 1970s, this is where West Germany kind of uh, dominated, let's be honest. Um, they had the game of the century in the 1970 World Cup, but unfortunately lost that 4-3, but would romp to three successive European Championships finals. First in 72 and then in 76, differing results, they beat Soviet Union in 1972. Gerd Muller um, showcased there. And of course, Antonin Penenka did them on penalties in uh, 1976's final for Czechoslovakia. And in between, it was a year ending in four, if we're going to go down those omens. <laughs> a second World Cup for West Germany, again, on home soil, outfoxing the total football in Dutch. But the Dutch would have their revenge in Argentina four years on. A Johan Cruyffless Dutch as well um, in the semi-final group stage in 78. But... West Germany would roll back two years later. They would beat the Dutch. They would roll back to European Championship dominant. Horst Rubrecht scoring twice in a 2-1 win in the final of Euro 1980. 2-1 there. So three European Championship finals in a row. Four West Germany became three World Cup finals in a row. That's how the progression works in football. In 1982, they lost to the likes of 
Paolo Rossi, Marco Tardelli and Co. in Spain against Italy, a 3-1 final there. In 1986, they lost because of uh, Argentina and Diego Maradona's brilliance. Another three shipped in a final, losing 3-2 in the Azteca Stadium there. On the other hand, they would go out in the groups in the European Championships in 1984 and lost to an absolutely superb Dutch team on home soil in, the, in Hamburg in the semi-final in 1988. Of course, the Netherlands would go on to win that trophy, their only trophy. But West Germany would claim the big prize. They came back for the third World Cup final in a row in 1980, beating the likes of Czechoslovakia, England, of course, on penalties. Wouldn't be the last time I'll say that. And Argentina. Andreas Bremer scoring the penalty in the final, a third World Cup. It wasn't a year ending in four. And in year of 1992, they reached yet another final, only to be upset by Denmark, John Jensen and Kim Vilfort in the final in Sweden. And approaching the 21st century, Germany would oscillate between quarterfinal embarrassment and the final. The year ending in four, 1994 World Cup, they'd uh, of course be destroyed late on by Lechkov and Stoichkov against Bulgaria as they... Uh, wound out, becoming fourth in that tournament in America. Germany would win the European Championships, of course, beating England on penalties in the semi-final and beating Czech Republic in the final. Golden goal from uh, Oliver Bierhoff there. And in 1998, lost out to World Cup debutants Croatia in the quarterfinal with Davos Suka there, scoring one of the goals in a 3-0 defeat. So we go to Euro 2000. Germany were the seeded team, albeit in a tough group. You've got Portugal, you've got England and Romania. Let's not discount Romania. They got to the last 16 of the previous World Cup. The fairly decent team. Georgie Hadji as well was uh, waving goodbye to international football at the tournament. And Mehmet Scholl had to equalise against them on match day one in Liège. And that would turn out to be Germany's only point and in fact only goal. They had the indignation of losing to England and Alan Shearer next in Charleroi, which shows how far they'd fallen from 1996. But still, they had a chance to qualify. They needed a win over Portugal. But as previously discussed on this episode, they were torn apart by Sergio Conceição and Portugal, a hat-trick for the man. Portugal won the group with nine points. England joined Germany on the first plane home on June the 20th, maybe. June the 21st if they stayed overnight um, but moving on to the 2002 World Cup and what could have been a tough group on paper you had Ireland to never give in that spirit you've got Cameroon who were the best team in Africa they've won AFCON uh, some six months later and of course Saudi Arabia Germany looked very different in this tournament you've got Michael Ballack you've got Miroslav Klose they turned out to be two of their best players they were playing at an international tournament for the very first time and closer announced himself to the world with a, a hat-trick against Saudi Arabia and an 8-0 whooping in Sapporo in Japan. This was a marker that was put down but and it was the biggest win in the World Cup since 1986. I think it was Hungary beating El Salvador there 10-1 but that's off the top of my head. Um, closer scored his fourth World Cup goal against Ireland but Robbie Keane salvaged a point there and uh, closer added a fifth as Germany rounded off the groups with a 2-0 win against Cameroon and from then on in, Germany sort of was stoic. They played international tournament football that's needed to win a tournament. Oliver Nervel saved Germany in a 1-0 against Paraguay. Michael Ballack got the only goals in wins against America and South Korea. So they were really 1-0 in their way to the final. And to quote England apologists from the last World Cup, they only beat what was in front of them and they got to a final. Um, they had lost 5-1 to England, of course, in qualification, as we all know, uh, might lost to them in the knockouts. Um, they did avoid the likes of Italy and Spain, but 
they beat the team that they beat, South Korea. Maybe this sort of asterisk is their run to the final because you've got group stage exits that um, flank this tournament. But, of course, the World Cup wouldn't be Germany's. It would be R9's. It would be Brazil's. Ronaldo scoring twice in the final in Yokohama. Brazil won their fifth World Cup. Germany still awaited their fourth World Cup. And, yeah, they did have to beat what was in front of them. And maybe, yeah, if things wouldn't have gone their way with, say, Italy or Spain in the semi-finals, they might have been knocked out. But still, a final is a final. And how many teams get to a World Cup final? And you can say, ah, probably not one of the top eight teams in the tournament. I wouldn't have put Germany in that bracket, really, with the team that they had. They had closer. They had Kahn. Obviously, they had Michael Ballack. But outside of that, there wasn't a whole lot of... um, whole lot of depth in there and that proved year 2004 they had some new blood coming in Bastian Schweinsteiger for one but they were dealt the group of death dark horses Czech Republic as we said earlier and the Netherlands who were uh, often show up at European championships admittedly there was also Latvia in there but Germany couldn't beat Latvia and inarguably the game of the group stages for the whole tournament on paper Torsten Thrings got the ball rolling for Germany but Ultimately, Ruud van Nistelrooy equalised. So again, a 1-1 draw. Exactly the same start to four years prior when they drew to uh, to Romania. They would remain in Porto for a game against Latvia, but drew 0-0. And Germany still had a chance, like in 2002, get over the line to qualify. Germany, they had Czech Republic to come in Lisbon. Germany just simply needed to better the Dutch's result against Latvia. Michael Ballack opened the scoring, so they were through as it stood. But uh, Marek Hines, Milan Boris, the golden boot winner, scored. Czech Republic won 2-1 and went to the semi-finals, of course, losing to Greece, whilst Germany finished third in the group yet again. And the Dutch also went out in the semi-finals. But then Germany came home. Football was to come home, wasn't it? 2006, home soil and a largely domestic-based team. 2006 seemed like the great cut-off point, the great restart. You've got Philip Lahm, you've got Schweinsteiger, you've got Mertesacker, Podolski, all under 23. A great blend of experience, of youth. You've got Thufrings, Balak, Closer from the uh, from the previous World Cup in their late 20s. You've also got Christoph Metzelder, 25, a useful player at the back. Jens Lehmann, 36, usurped Oliver Kahn for this World Cup. And only 10 of the World Cup team from 2002 remained. Klinsmann was the Hot new exciting manager, you've got Yogi Love, real brains behind it, the assistant. Obviously in 2014 we'd see Yogi Love, the manager, Hansi Flick, the assistant. Germany qualified with flying colours through to right through to the quarterfinals, really. They uh, beat Ecuador, they beat Poland, beat Costa Rica. In a fairly simple group, to be fair. They needed a late win against Poland, but that was about as much trouble as they got, really. They beat Sweden quite early on through Lukas Podolski. He got bagged a brace there as they say and Closer saved Germany's skin in Berlin equalising late against Argentina and Jens Lehmann with all the names on his water bottle saved the day won in penalties in the quarterfinals they'd go to Dortmund to play Italy Miroslav Closer would win the golden boot the futures of Lukas Podolski of Bastian Schweinsteiger looked very bright and it looked as though they, I think they were they must have been favourites you had France and Portugal on the other half of the draws and Zan was in terrific form, but it's Germany. They're at home. 1974. But 1974, this was not. They bumped into the Berlin Wall and the Berlin Wall that night in Dortmund. I, I don't make up these nicknames. Fabio Cannavaro. Italy won 2-0 in it after extra time 
And by four years later, by 2010, the root and branch review of German football was bearing its fruit. Of course, via the final of year 2008, let's not forget losing to Spain. So how did Germany do it? How did they become world champions for the fourth time in 2014 and have such a, a distinguished run at tournament semi-finals in 2012, in 2016, of course, let's forget the 2018 World Cup. Um, so 52 centres of excellence were built to school new talents. 366 regional coaching bases were established. 1,300 new professional full-time coaches taught youngsters. And this was a task force chaired by the DFB, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge fronting it. And Germany were in a bit of a tricky spot in terms of the club football. The Bundesliga's TV deal left German clubs in an absolute financial crisis. Um, this review was launched in 2002, known as the Extended Talent Promotion Programme. The DFB, the National Football Association, chipped in. Pro professional clubs did too annually uh, to the tune of around 50 million euro. Bertie Votes had warned of this drop-off of talent Year 96 winning manager, of course, he'd warned them back then of their shortcomings, even when they were winning. So by 98, you've got the virtue of Croatia knocking them out in the quarterfinals. 2000, 2004, we've got group stage exits. He was proved right. Miroslav Klose only started playing professionally at age 21. And coming from a largely uh, sort of countryside, sort of in the middle of nowhere, the shortage of shout scouts were blamed for not picking Klose up earlier of course now closer is the highest scorer in world cup history and george daniel the um the director of the talent program expanded the scouting nationwide and now i saw a graphic on twitter the other day and the amount of football pitches in germany is just incredible and that's with the mass you know forestation in bavaria and in the southern part of the country the amount of pitches amount of places where kids can play Football, the, the groundwork done at grassroots level is just absolutely astonishing. So 2009, Germany won the under-21s European Championships. Manuel Neuer, Benedict Howardes, Jerome Boateng, Sami Kadira, Meza Ozil, Mats Hummels, Marcel Schmelzer, all featured. So a year on, the under-25s in the World Cup squad remained. Mario Gomez, Manuel Neuer, Sami Kadira, Jerome Boateng, Meza Ozil, Holger Badstuber, Thomas Muller, Tony Kroos. The players of, another thing that can't be discounted is the players of immigrant families that start to feel that national pride, which is why you've got players like Ozil, Sami Kadira coming in. This was mixed with new scouting to find new talent. You've got new bases, new centres, and Germany, as a result, the national team was blossoming spectacularly. Of course, in the 2010 World Cup, England were marked as favourites for that last 16, if you can remember, based on the fact that Germany had a quote-unquote young team whilst England's average age was around 28, 29, something like that. And obviously the experience would shine through. Obviously we know now, of course, admitting the goal line technology controversy, they were thrashed 4-1. Not only that, they thrashed Argentina 4-0. And it, had it not been for Spain in the semi-finals, they might have won that tournament. They probably deserved to win that tournament more than they did deserve to win the tournament in 2002. Of course, Carlos Puyol header, semi-final 1-0 win for Spain. Germany went close again two years later. Balotelli this time in the semi-final scoring two goals. And I remember that time, that was the shock that Italy beat, beat Germany. Italy were taken to penalties by England, believe it or not, the previous round. But this is where everyone seemed to think, I remember not being 
too bothered that we lost that quarterfinal in 2012 because, to quote me, nine years ago, we'd have just been pumped off Germany anyway. So, number four, the fourth World Cup came in a year ending in four. Six years after the first, 40 after the second, of course, 2014, smashing Portugal, beating America. Admittedly, extra time was needed against Algeria, but they also beat France. They, of course, demolished Brazil 7-1. The match that won them, they woke up effectively because they struck fear through everybody, really. And before, even before the 1-0 against Argentina, it was plainly obvious they were going to win the tournament, were they? Um, the embarrassment of the nation's league performance of 6-0 against Spain forced Yogi Love's hand into resignation um, earlier on this year. But the the production line continues. You've got Hansi Flick, of course, the assistant in the World Cup win in 2014. And now Germany look to evolve again, regardless of what happens in this summer's European Championships. And it looks as though Hansi Flick could be the man like Love to uh, coach Germany for the next decade or so. I asked, are they the best international team? Now, FT Law Podcast says that in pound-for-pound terms, or population equivalent, Uruguay would be certainly up there because they've got two World Cups, the most Copper Americas. And of course, yeah, you've got to to say Uruguay have massively overachieved in terms of look at the country to their north and you've got Brazil and they are seen as the pinnacle. But in terms of functionality, in terms of how they consistently get far get deep into tournaments I have to pick Germany I think they're on a par with Brazil Argentina can combust Italy likewise um, and of course France are always in terms of modern times there or thereabouts they've got a fantastic squad now haven't they um, but in terms of that yeah Germany France Brazil Germany France Brazil and Italy probably in the top four obviously England somewhere down of course <laughs> after this short break We'll bring you a 2000s trivial teaser. Welcome back. So congratulations go to FT Lol Podcast. They go to Hale underscore CFC and they go to George HS2706. They gave me the correct answer in Cesc Fabregas. It was Corsa midfielder managed underneath by Mourinho, by Niko Kovac. Played alongside, believe it or not, Ray Parler, as well as Thiago, Thibaut Courtois, David Bentley and Wissam Ben Yedder. Parler and Bentley fought Arsenal, of course. Thiago for Spain, Courtois for Chelsea, Wissam Ben Yedder at Monaco. We are going further up the pitch. We're going to striker, our 2000s trivial teaser. Today he's been managed by Louis van Gaal. He's been managed by Otto Rehagel, a name mentioned early on in the show. Some of his teammates have been Oliver Bierhoff, Ulian Draxler, Paul Stalteri, Stefan Divry, and Louis Saha. Again, for those in the back, it's a striker who's been managed by Louis van Gaal, Otto Rehagel, played alongside Oliver Bierhoff, Ulian Draxler, Paul Stalteri, Stefan Divry, and Louis Saha. You won't find out the answer to that next week as we're going on an extended break because we are, of course, covering the Euros. So episode 45 will be July the 21st. That is when we shall return. On YouTube, we'll be uh, covering more what-ifs and less of the other series, which could be a bit of a shake-up, but... Uh, That restructuring will take place after the Euros, but more on that at a later date, of course. The podcast feed will bolster in that in August as well. Of course, the Noise Nostalgia podcast will remain in place every Wednesday on the podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music is a new one. And also, Patreon is where we uh, launched this week, and thank you for those donations this week and it's just as a reminder three pound a week for bonus daily content everyday podcast football manager content etc etc 
I know we're in hard times and any contribution there is greatly, greatly appreciated um, from anybody who donates anything, which I'm, of course, massively grateful for. We'll be back sometime next week, Monday, with the first ever episode of the Euro Daily Podcast, which will be available on Patreon, which will be available on the podcast feed. Silly. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.